Well, if you'd open your scriptures this morning to 1 Peter, chapter 1. I'm going to be reading the opening verses of 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity you're giving us to be in your word. We're so thankful you're a God who has spoken. And in this time, we pray through the working of your spirit that you would make your word clear to us. Make it plain and plant it within us. Not just in our mind, but in our heart. And then work within us to help us to see how actions or attitudes, beliefs, hopes are to be influenced by the things that you've said. Well, thank you for it. Give us alertness of mind in the time that we have together. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was prepping and thinking about today and getting back into, the, into teaching again, I, if you remember, uh, more than three months ago, before the three-month interlude of not te- teaching you, I was in First Peter. I had started First Peter. We'd actually gone two weeks into that study. And as I was reviewing some of the things, I thought, well, I better cover this again, and I better cover that again, because three months is a long time to remember, the, remember kind of the continuity of something. And after a while, I just thought, well, come on, Gary, let's, let's just start again and uh, start from scratch and, uh, and consolidate a little bit. Uh, so today, uh, is we're going to be looking at these opening verses, and we'll continue to look at them next week, but I'm consolidating a little bit. So hopefully get a little bit more covered today than uh, the very first day that we started in First Peter before. But that's the rationale for it, because uh, rather than start like mid-sentence, I want to make sure we're starting at the right place and then building the foundations together. So First Peter written obviously by the Apostle Peter. Uh, We know it was written in the early 60s, sometime before his death, perhaps just a couple of years before his death, which we know occurred in 67, around 67 A.D. And it was probably written from Rome. He uses the term Babylon at at the end of the book, and frequently, not always, but frequently, the term Babylon was like a code word in the Scriptures for Rome. And so it makes sense that that's particularly where he was. And he wrote it prompted by the Spirit of God, as all of the Scripture is, not people moved, but the Holy Spirit moving in people and giving them God's Word through their writing. But at any rate, he was moved by, by the Spirit of God to send a letter to some of the churches in a region of what today is modern Turkey. In fact, the region is the central part in the northern part of what is modern-day Turkey, uh, particularly these regions, Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And those are, those are regions, not cities. Uh, they, by the way, uh, 
Galatia is at the very center of, of modern-day Turkey, and it's also the location of Akara, which is the capital of Turkey. Uh, this was a region where the church was established. Uh, Paul, as you remember, wrote the book of Galatians to the believers in Galatia, that region of Turkey. The irony I find getting into our study is that that portion of Turkey uh, is essentially zero percentage Christian at this, at this period of history. Uh, 90% are uh, Islamic and about 10%, which is true of much of, uh, much of modern-day Turkey, basically atheistic. I mean, they're secularized. They, uh, they don't see themselves in sort of the more fundamentalist modes of, of Islam. The church, God makes no promises for churches beyond a generation. Because a new generation always has to make their decisions for Christ. Nobody can make it for them. And therefore, the, gen- the church is always first generational. Uh, as you move to another generation, unless a previous generation was proclaiming the gospel and interacting and building the truth into young people who then in turn could turn to Christ, it will become increasingly second-hand and then third-hand and fourth-hand and pretty soon evaporate. And that was the tragedy of much of the region that characterized the early church. Uh, As the generations went by, no matter what the zeal was of the original generations, it was not reflected with subsequent generations. Great lesson for all of history. At any rate, this book was written to that group, but like the other epistles, it's it's applicable to all of the believers in this New Covenant era. So uh, while we're not living in uh, Galatia or Cappadocia. <laughs> Everything that's said here is immediately applicable to us, and uh, hopefully you'll see it that way and build into it that way. Well, let's get into the book itself. Uh, Paul's opening verses here are his greeting to the church, but it's clear as you look at them, as would be true in all of the epistles, uh, at that period of time, the greetings were more than merely a formality. Uh, they don't approximate like our greetings where we say, oh, dear sir, or <laughs> they were intended in that culture to be times where a structure was being established for the letter that would follow. In teaching terminology, we talk about that as advanced organizers, where the very first thing you kind of say to your class as they get into something is you give them a picture of where you're going with the session. Here's our advanced organizer, so they know kind of what the session's going to be about. In a way, the epistles are set up that way with advanced organizers. The greetings to the church identify some core doctrinal sometimes and core principle issues that are going to be elaborated on a lot more as the epistle is read. Certainly the case here with 1 Peter, uh, advanced organizers. And in these opening verses that I read to you, verses 1 and 2, the advanced organizers include three crucial truths, three crucial terminologies uh, that reflect those truths, that then the book, and by the way, the rest of the Bible, develop much more for us. These three terminologies, these three truths include these things. Number one, as believers, we are exiles or aliens in the midst of the world in which we find ourselves. 
The second of the truths is that as believers, God, for his own purposes, has purposely scattered us in the midst of the world that we find ourselves in. The third truth is that while it is true as believers that we are exiles, that we are scattered around in God's plan, it is also true that we are God's chosen, God's elect. All three important principles. And my goal is to spend time on the first two today. Lord willing, we'll spend time next week looking at the third of these principles. So let's get into it. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, in Bithynia. Truth number one, all true believers are actually exiles or aliens in this world. The word translated in the ESV, which I was reading to you from, by the word exile, is the Greek word parapedimos, made up of two words, para meaning close beside, epidemos meaning a foreign resident. It's not a description of somebody who is doing a world tour. It's not, the, it's not a description of somebody on vacation who happens to find themselves in a different part of the world. Instead, it's a description uniquely in the Greek, of somebody who is actually living in an area that is not their homeland. So it's not just visiting their living, but that's not where they're living is not really their homeland. They are away from it. Uh, the NIV translates parapodemos by the word alien. The King James Version depending on the, the, when you got the King James translation, uses the word sojourner and even the word pilgrim, which was the uh, original word used to translate that issue of parapodemos. I think my personal feeling about it is that that word alien in our culture of 2023 most closely approximates what parapodemos is about. Why do I say that? Because over the last decade or two, the issue of illegal alien has been so uh, central to our considerations and what do we do about people coming across. Well, what makes the difference between an illegal alien or an alien? An alien is somebody who actually has permission to live here and is not in here illegally. It's not somebody who's been given permission to visit the United States. An alien is one who has been given permission to live in the United States for a period of time. That's parapodemos. That's the idea. Now, what does that mean? That means that God looks at you, and he looks at me, and he says, I want to remind you of something. And that is, you don't really belong where you find yourself. By that, I don't mean that you're not where God wants you to be. It's just that you're not going to find that you belong, in a broader sense, with the, you don't fit well where you find yourself. You don't fit well. You actually belong somewhere else, ultimately, than where you currently find yourself. Remember the old gospel song, This World Is Not My Home? <laughs> just a passing through. That's parapodemos. You know, the world is not meant to be our home. Uh, this is why true believers who take their faith seriously 
seeking to grow in their faith, always feel like they don't quite fit. They don't quite fit. They don't quite fit in their neighborhood. They don't quite fit at, jo- at their work. They don't quite fit the community. Oh, there's a lot of similarities. Uh, we speak the same language in most cases. And, but you just, you feel like you're outside of what the social is, the social group. You're kind of not a part of it. And God intends that. He says, it's been my purpose in making you a new creation to make you not fit anymore. That's the irony behind Romans 12, 2, where we're commanded by God not to conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. All of us have a desire to be accepted by the culture that we find ourselves in. Peer pressure, we want. And so there's a great temptation on us to conform to the culture, especially because we, in deep inside, want to feel like we fit. And God says, I'm reminding you of something. You'll never fit. And to the degree that you begin to think you do fit, that's a sign of serious problems in your discipleship. It's a sign that things are not right between us. Because now you're aligning and feeling a sense of fit which, with that which doesn't fit with me. Because the world in which we find ourselves is fallen, brothers and sisters. Hate to be the one to break that to you, but it is. It's a, It's antagonistic to God. It doesn't reflect his word. It doesn't reflect his purposes. And that's true no matter what country you find yourself in, or what state you find yourself in, or county or town or whatever. Everything is going to be contrary at some level, fundamental level, to God's ways. And so when he says, I don't want you to conform, he's saying you're going to face a lot of pressure to conform because not even when the people try to pressure you, but because in yourself you want to feel like you're part of the group. You don't want to feel sort of disconnected. And God says you're going to be. And he says, I want you to understand that. And he begins building this principle in 1 Peter I want you to understand that you are actually a foreigner and no matter how hard you try, you will always be a foreigner in my plan, in the culture in which you find yourself. You will always feel like a round peg in a square hole. It's when you fit that you ought to say, wait a second... (laughs) Did Jesus come and now we're in the millennial kingdom? You know, what, why am I fitting now? You know, why, why, why am I aligning now? We know the culture. We know the language. But we still are aliens. It's like, think of the struggle a missionary has. And it would be true, not so much of uh, Moses and Brenda and Joshua and Brenda because they're native to the Papua New Guinea. But think of, uh, of the people, think of Chris and Liz in Algeria, think of Abby in Portugal, learning different languages, coming from different cultures. The missionary works and works and works to get adjusted a bit to the culture, but never completely does. Uh, God says that's sort of the reality. I, don't, I want you never to totally succeed and becoming so connected to the culture that you fit in. 
One of the scholars was giving this example, and it was really helpful for me. I hope it helps you. He said, there, there's always this, you, this very pronounced difference between first-generation immigrants and second-generation immigrants. Why? It's not just language. Certainly the second-generation growing up in the U.S., here's the language from an early age, and they're more adept at it. But the fact of the matter is the second generation has grown up being adjusted to and socialized into our culture. The first generation immigrant, they were socialized into another culture. They were, and our language is never going to be quite right for them, nor are the mindsets of the culture. So it was always very pronounced, and that's why most of the cultural regions, Erie's a beautiful example of that, most of the cultural regions that made up Erie, the German area, the Polish area, the, the Irish area, the Italian areas, those of you that know Erie know what I'm talking about, those areas didn't last after, I mean, in their unique purity, didn't last after the first generation. Because the second generation people, while they kind of liked their home neighborhoods, they didn't stay living there because they didn't need the reinforcement of the rest of the poles or the rest of whatever. They, they began to want, they viewed themselves as Americans now, were, you know, and speaking the language. When they were at school, they wanted to fit in with the school, and that meant you didn't fit in with your subculture. Uh, second generation changes. Listen, you and I are first generation. There is not a believer here who is not first generation. I said it earlier, nobody is saved because their parents were saved. People are saved always first generationally. They have to make decisions to respond to the gospel. We're all first generation. We cannot, if we start to feel like the second generation immigrants... That ought, again, be like a flashing light going off, saying, well, wait a second, wait a second. Uh, something's happened here that is not good for your discipleship. As a result, you and I will never be completely socially accepted by the communities in which we find ourselves. And that lack of acceptance will be even more pronounced to the degree that the communities around us advocate things contrary to God's truth. I mean, it's one thing when the community around you, at least uh, in word, aligns with God's truth, but in practice may, maybe doesn't. It's another thing when the community around you, in word, is now saying, no, no, we, we reject that word, this. You're going to stand out even more because you're going to be, in a very pronounced way, out of kilter with the society. I take comfort in this fact, brothers and sisters. God never intends me to fit in the culture. The, the inclination to want to fit is mine, not his. I mean, he, he's, he's like patiently reminding me, hey, Gary, I, I didn't expect you to fit anyway. It's me who expected to fit. You know, I wanted, I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be, you know, just one of the guys. I just wanted to be whatever. And God says, hey, listen, I, I don't want you to fit in. That's the reason I said in Romans 12, 2, I don't want you to be conformed to the world. That's why in 1 John chapter 2, he says, don't love the world or the things that are in the world. Love for that world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes. All that's from the world, not from God. 
if you love that, you're not going to have love for me. I mean, it's pretty plain in the scriptures. God is saying, as a redeemed person, I want to see this difference. So, I don't want you to fit, but I want you to impact. I don't want you to fit, but I want you to impact. I want you to impact on the community without conforming to the community. I, I want you to relate to the people in this foreign land that I've placed you in, but I don't want you to conform to their culture. And we say, well, that's pretty tough. And he says, yep, can't do it apart from me. <laughs> I'm, I'm the one that will help you in that process. By the way, Hebrews 11 tells us that this lack of fit has always been true, even in the Old Covenant era. It was always true. Listen to these words in Hebrews 11, verses 13 to 16. All of these died in faith. This is talking about the patriarchs now. All of these died in faith, not receiving the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Ah, oh, interesting word. Yeah, it's the same word. All right. they, they realized that's who they were. He says, for people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking their homeland. If they'd been thinking about that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire the better country, that is, the heavenly one. And God says, and therefore God's not ashamed to be called their God. So... God's not ashamed of us if we keep reminding ourselves that we're exiles and if we keep reminding ourselves that it's the better country, our true country, that we want to be a part of. But the reverse is also true. God's very ashamed of us as his people, as his redeemed people, to the degree that we set our sights on here and now and on the culture that we're a part of. Uh, So, our new heart... Longs for home. Longs for where we really belong. Uh, By that, I don't mean where we belong right this moment, but where we ultimately belong. Where we belong right this moment is where God has scattered us to, as we'll come to see. But ultimately, where we want to be is with him, where we really fit. So the bottom line of that, and we'll move on to the other phrase, is this. Don't get too comfortable in any culture in the world. The death knell of a church is people getting too comfortable in the culture of which they are part. One of the theologians even suggests that the best thing that can happen to a church is to have the culture around it increasingly ungodly and overtly opposing God's truth. Why? Because a lot harder to fit into that. Uh, and it's a bit easier Uh, to say, well, I won't get conformed to that because it's so in-your-face, obviously contrary to what God would want. It's when it's not so obvious that it's easy to let your guard down and be pulled into what amounts to little more than a human understanding of justice and righteousness and so forth instead of God's truth. I think that's probably true. Well, at any rate, truth number one, uh, we are aliens. That's who God says we are. Secondly, truth number two, he says, listen, you're elect Exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, in Bithynia. 
the dispersion. The Greek word in this case is diaspora, uh, which means to be purposely spread and scattered. Uh, not just to be scattered, like the wind can blow and things are scattered in a random sort of way. This word is used to describe a purposeful scattering. Uh, it was a word primarily used in agriculture of, this, of the farmer sowing seed. I mean, it was sown, but it was purposeful. I mean, there, it wasn't just going out the window of the car as you were driving along. There was a field, you were planting stuff in it. You follow the distinction? Purposely sown. Our dispersion in this world, our scattering, is purposeful on the part of God. He intends us to be scattered in the place that's not our homeland. That's his, that's his intention. And I say, well, I want to be in my homeland. I want to, I want to be with you. Uh, and he says, yeah, I know. Uh, and that's also because I gave you a new heart. But my intention is to scatter you and maybe scatter you where you don't want to be. Uh, I'm going to scatter you purposely. Why does he do that? Because he has a job for us to do. He leaves us here in the foreign lands instead of being with him because we're called upon to be salt and light in the midst of those lands. He has a task for us. We are scattered to witness in our words and deeds to the lost world, the foreign land we find ourselves in, of a true God and a true kingdom and a true gospel in the midst of a culture has no hope and has no answers, which describes every culture that we find ourselves in. That's the reason, by the way, God keeps us in this world after we're redeemed. I've often told people, listen, it's far more efficient if you respond to the gospel to simply kill you and take you to be with the Lord. It's going to be a lot nicer up there with him. You're not going to have to fight this whole struggle of the law that's at work in the members of your body. I mean, if efficiency was the issue, God would just simply take us. Because to be with him is far better, according to the scriptures. So apparently efficiency isn't the only issue here. Uh, he has a reason for us to be left in this world. Uh, this reason, by the way, is perfectly demonstrated in the demoniac. You remember Jesus healing the demoniac? And uh, I'll read you these verses in Luke chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged that he could stay with Jesus. Just let me be with you. But Jesus sent him away, saying... Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And so he went away and proclaimed throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. If you've truly come to know Christ at the deepest level of your heart, you're going to speak like the demoniac. I beg the Lord to be with him. That's why Paul wanted, he knew it was better. He preferred to be with the Lord. All of us at a deep level, that's, if we've been redeemed, we want to be with Jesus. And God says, well, yeah, but, but I have some place else I want you to be right now. So go back to this area, this home, and proclaim what the Lord has done for you. Oh, Lord, it's so embarrassing back there. I lived in this sort of way. I was, I was de demon-possessed, uh, did lots of things and said lots of things to people that 
I'm embarrassed to be back there. Please, let me be with you. He says, no, 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 you go back. And the demoniac, which is a sign of his surrendered discipleship, said, okay, I'm going back. And throughout the whole area that he'd been the object of ridicule in, I suppose, uh, proclaimed how much Jesus had done for him. We're scattered purposely by God where we find ourselves in this world to declare how much God has done for us. Does that mean every second of every day is a time when we're declaring it in our words? Well, not necessarily, but there better not be much time where you're not declaring it in your words and your actions. Because that's the reason you were left here. That you would be proclaiming what the Lord has done for you. Number one, he saved me. Through Jesus, he saved me at the cross. And then he works in me to help me grow. And he gives grace. You know, tell how much God has done for you. If you were looking for a good descriptor of your life over the last month, how about declare how much God has done for you? How's that for a descriptor? How much does it fit what has been the reality of your life in terms of your words and in terms of your actions? If you're saying, well, what is God really looking for from us? I'd propose to you, that's a good, good way to summarize it. God's wanting us to proclaim. He builds on this, by the way, in the New Testament. We're, we're left, this is proclaimers. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about that proclaiming in terms of ambassadorship. We are his spokesman. Uh, listen to these words, starting in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation... 2 Corinthians 5, the old has passed away, behold, the news come. And all this is from God, who through Christ was reconciling us to himself. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God's making his appeal through us. So we implore you, on behalf of Christ... Be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a little flesh to that phrase in Luke, uh, tell how much God's done for you. (laughs) That's what he's done for me. Forgave me. (laughs) Gave me his righteousness. I'm redeemed. You can be too. Here's what you have to do. Spokesman. So here's the challenge, and that's why this is found in the opening verses. The challenge is this. You and I have to learn how to live as exiles and ambassadors at the same time. How does one do that exactly? How does one live as an alien and live effectively as an ambassador? How do we carry that out? We know God has left us where he's put us because it's his plan for us to interact and impact in the area he's placed us. Uh, So God is not saying, I want you to pull yourself away from the world, you know, get off in some commune somewhere where where you try to cushion yourselves against some of the messed up conditions in the foreign land I've sent you to. So we know that's not what he wants. 
He doesn't want us hiding there, and he doesn't want us deciding, well, the only people I'll really know are going to be Christians, so that's, you know, I'll keep, that'll also help us to cushion ourselves a little bit, because we've been left here to be light in the darkness, to be his spokesman. Hard to do that if the only people you speak to have already been spoken to, all right? Now, there's things we need to do with one another. That's body life. But nonetheless, God says, listen, tell the world how much I've done for you. Don't hide. By the way, uh, almost done here. Uh, In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, a great command was given to the early disciples and the followers of Christ. He says, listen, I want you to be, when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, in the uttermost parts of the earth. So it was clear. But what happened from Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 7? They decided, we like Jerusalem and we're staying. We want to just stay in Jerusalem. Uh, that's where all the fellowship is. That's where the apostles are. And so they stayed there. Uh, Acts chapter 7 ends with the uh, martyrdom of Stephen. Paul, in his Saul days, overseeing that, holding the coats of the people, throwing stones at Stephen to kill him. Acts chapter 8 starts this way. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, all except the apostles. And then in verse 4 it says, And now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Diaspora is the Greek word translated scattered. That's the word here in 1 Peter. Now what do we gain from that? You don't disperse. God's got his ways of dispersing you. I like to be dispersed without persecution. I don't know about you. I mean, if I got options, uh, I think maybe uh, willing obedience is a better, better avenue here. Than, uh, than the persecution. But God's going to disperse us, all right? He's purposely left us to impact on the world. So accept that that's our call. We are dispersed exiles. We are scattered aliens. Next time, Lord willing, we'll talk about what it means to be elect or chosen of God as a scattered alien, as a dispersed exile. A whole lot more than dear friends in Pontius and Cappadocia that God has for us in these opening verses. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for all that was accomplished on our behalf by the Lord Jesus, risen from the dead, Lord. Help us to be part, through the enabling of your Spirit, of the group that shares with others, confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, and helps others to find him as well. Guide and direct in our lives this day and in this week ahead, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Good to be with you today.